This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm James, and this is a Sissy.pod bonus episode. As this weekend, Keen is away celebrating life, music, culture, and the arts at the Body and Soul Festival, and I've been celebrating my 40th birthday. That is right. All well wishes and positive affirmations will be welcomed in the Sissy.pod DMs. We've pushed back a recording of the week's episode of Sissy.pod to later this week. But just to be sure that you're not left with a Kean and James shaped hole in your eardrums this Monday morning, we wanted to share an episode of our brand new queer cultural review podcast, Queer Classified with you. For any of you who've missed the promo for this over the past couple of months, Keen and I have been looking back at some of the albums, movies, TV shows, icons that shone a light on the LGBTQ experience or mark an important milestone in LGBTQ representation. In the episode you're about to hear, we're joined by club promoter and public relations guru Buzz O'Neill to talk about pop legend George Michael, and in particular, how he used his music to slap back at a tabloid media that tried to shame him over his sex life. You can check out all the other episodes of Queer Classified right now by searching Queer Classified in whatever podcast app you're using to listen to me at this moment. You'll find a great chat with Louise McSharry about the movie Clueless, Cassie Delaney trying to make sense of the absolutely mind-boggling lesbian drama Sugar Rush, and a deep dive into the somewhat overlooked Oscar winner Moonlight, all to keep you entertained this Pride season. Now, don't worry, myself and Keen will be back later this week to get into the TRL Battle of the Drag Bands. Um, and until then, I'll say bye for now. You're listening to Queer Classified with Keen and James, the show that learns how to turn bathroom mishaps into chart-topping successes. On this week's show, we're joined by Buzz O'Neill to review and revisit George Michael's disco dancing public toilet anthem of queer empowerment outside with a contemporary rainbow lens. Throughout a career where his hits dominated the charts, it was sex that dominated the media discourse around George Michael. From the overblown pearl clutching around the suggestiveness of his videos, to faux concern over the impact of his music on impressionable youth, and a relentless purient interest in whom he chose to have it with. From the very start of his career, this pop oddity walked a tightrope between flamboyant campiness and soulful sincerity. 
Gossip columns, tabloids and television interviews brimming with suggestive overtures, rumours and speculation about his sexuality were unrelenting in their search for answers to Michael's ambiguity. George, are you gay? Am I gay? It's a pretty, pretty direct first question, isn't it? Um, I've never said no, I've never said yes. No, I'm not. Um, but the, the main, the main uh, thing I like to express is that I don't think it's anybody's business. Despite the media obsession, Michael remained silent on his sexuality, reluctant to come out publicly to protect his Greek Orthodox mother from what he was sure would be a bruising and hurtful response from the tabloid press. He maintained his silence until the late 90s, when during a period of depression following the loss of his longtime partner to an AIDS-related illness in 1993 and his mother to cancer in 1997, a decision he would later describe as stupid and reckless in the Will Rogers Memorial Park in Beverly Hills in April 1998 saw him arrested by a plainclothes police officer from the Beverly Hills Police Department in the restrooms of the park on charges of engaging in a lewd act and his sexuality splashed across front pages around the world. And my sexuality was not cut and dry. I, um, I spent the first half of my career um, being accused of being gay when I hadn't had anything like a, a gay relationship. And in fact, I was 27 before um, that happened to me. So I spent my, my years growing up being told what my sexuality was really, you know, um, which was quite, kind of confusing. And then by the time I'd kind of worked out what it was and I'd stopped having relationships with women, um, I was just so indignant at the way I'd been treated until then. I was just thought, well, I'll just hold on to this. I don't think they need to know. I don't think I should have to tell them. Rejecting the traditional expectations of the publicly shamed, Michael shrugged off the weight of shame and stigma, took back his power and his authentic voice alongside it. He embraced the freedom of being publicly outed. Yes, he'd been bad, he admitted, with tongue firmly placed in cheek in his chart-topping single Outside, released in October 1998, just six months later. Yes, I've been The song satirised his arrest, celebrating sexual freedom and liberation and mocking both the Los Angeles police officers who busted him and the media who obsessed and picked over people's sex and personal lives. It was a clear statement that he refused to be shamed over his sexuality or the incident. It challenged the assumptions that acceptance for LGBTQ people meant blending inoffensively into the background, mimicking heterosexual roles and stereotypes, or that the terms of equality would be set by those in power. It also empowered an entire generation of gay and queer youth to believe that there was nothing to be ashamed of in their identities or their desires and opened up doors for artists such as Years and Years, St. Vincent, Janelle Monet, or Lil Nas X to bring queer love and lust further and further into the mainstream.
video where a message that acceptance cannot come at a cost of rejecting queer culture, heritage and a way of life that was built over millennia on the outside. Helping us to understand George Michael's legacy is someone who knows a thing or two about how important it is for LGBTQ people to have safe spaces where they can hang out, be themselves and maybe even engage in the odd lewd act. Nightclub promoter and <laughs> freelance music and entertainment event manager Buzz O'Neill. Thanks for coming to chat to us about George Michael. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm straight there introduced as an, an enabler. Yeah, an enabler of lewd acts. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite okay with that. <laughs> Um, so before we started chatting, you were kind of mentioning how you're part of the same generation of George Michael and that your kind of process of coming out kind of age-wise kind of matched with him. So did you relate strongly when you saw him? Yeah, it's, of- it's like everything. It's like, it's, it's like everyone's pop star uh, idol or hero when, when you're young, mm-hmm. you see them as being like 20 years older than you. Yeah. When the reality is they're like five years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And there are these guys, and it's particularly, you know, I, I, you know, born 1970, so I was firmly a kid of the 80s. Yeah. That amazing, I, I considered that amazing time for, yeah. for particularly UK pop music. So I was just like, like a massive, like the biggest ever, um, you know, Human League fan, and then Spandau, and, and, yeah. and then Wham, Wham were just so, pop throw yeah. away you know all of that was 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 um and when you it's, it's later on when you look back at it and you go hang on he was 52 hang on i was 48 when he died no hang on he was only four years older than me yes yeah, so when yeah. i was 16 or 17 watching him on top of the pops he was 20 yes yeah you yeah, know yeah you know they say he wrote you know um you know careless whisper it, it was started that he, he wrote most of it when he was 14 yeah. at the time you know so so yeah so you have that whole that that first when you once you get over that so and then you realize when you're in your 20s and you're in your 30s that all of a sudden they're the same age as you, yeah, practically, yeah, yeah. or are the same age group, you know. Yeah, yeah. Adele's great at reminding you like how much she's achieved when you hit that age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 twenty-one, <laughs> twenty-five, thirty. Yeah. Great. You know, but at the same as as you know, so as a as a closeted gay man for all of the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, know, I was twenty-nine when I came out. Yeah, you know. Um, George claims claims that his first gay sexual experience was when he was twenty seven. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I highly contest that. Well, he but, did, he mentioned yeah he mentioned sometimes in some of, in some later interviews about kind of how he had like this affinity with cruising, which obviously comes up again through through the the music video for Outside and and the concept of that song, and even through other songs like Fast Love and that like there is that yeah. appreciation for kind of casual sex on tap. Um, but he did sort of yeah you're right he claimed I think maybe to make it more palatable for a broader audience yeah. that, you know, kind of there was almost a watershed moment of like 27, oh, I'm gay. And prior to that, it had all been a mystery to him. Yeah, I always remember him saying in an interview once, it was around that whole, we'll be getting to it later, the 1998 yeah. nadir of a year mm. in his life. But I remember him saying on it, it was a CNN interview and uh, he, he he was quite reassuring because he was shrewd, you know, yeah. he, was, he was very... Uh, he was very shrewd in his career and he knew knew what he was at and he always knew what he was saying. Re, you know, yeah. uh, and in that interview on CNN after the, 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 the whole incident of him, you know, officially coming out and saying he was gay was that he goes, but I do want to, and it was to reassure my fans. Yeah. He was always, you know, there was a, he would have nine the dollar all yes, the time, yeah. George did, you know. And he goes, I just, you know, that when I wrote songs, 
back then that they were about women because yeah. I was having relationships with women and now I write songs for girls quite clearly about men. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so he, he, he was very cagey. He was always... He was very shrewd. He was very kind of like, I think you you can almost write him off sometimes as a bit of a, a, bit of a stereotype because you, you get, you tie him either to wham or you tie him to older and you kind of forget that underneath that there was this very thoughtful, considerate, witty, kind of self-deprecating performer who had a remarkable way of connecting with people um, in a way... Which is strange because he never managed to connect with the press. The press seemed to hound him right throughout his career. Well, the press knew what knew the story. Yeah, and so you know when when the press knows the story and people are you know when people are living a closeted life, they're forever going to be going to be there on your back. You know, I've, I've spent twenty um, something years as a, as a publicist. You know, yeah. in the entertainment industry. So, um, and another great publicist and. Um, an agent, I always remember him telling me as a very young guy, uh, he was just like, Buzz, always just have a better story or, yeah. or have another story. And yeah. If you had a client and, you know, I wasn't at that, I wasn't in that salaciously end of it until later on when I started doing PR for, for, for bigger yeah. nightclubs. Yeah. You'd have mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of the, <laughs> the daily tabloids, which, you know, before that I was doing all the cool indie, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. all that sort of stuff. But, you know, but the thing was, always have a banker in your, in your back pocket. And, yeah. you know, we're going to write this about your client. Yeah. And you go, really? And it's almost, you know, oh, look over there. It's, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, well, can I give you a better story? Yes. And to be honest, sometimes it could have been about someone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could be literally just throwing someone <laughs> under, the <bus. laughs> under the bus. You know, so he was, so he, 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 he lived that, he lived it double closeted life yes you know he lived that closeted life among even his friends and people his musicians and people that he worked with and the record label you know i worked for the same label um for a while um and i i'd heard some mental stories about him you know at the time when he was as much as you know sure he's he's in the closet sure he was chasing and trying to nail every blow (laughs) that would you know that he could catch yes but no but he was leading that double closet life in that he was not an out man you know particularly yeah to his wider group but then he wasn't out to his fans yeah but the press knew he was a dirty big queer yeah but as as a fan like when like when did the gay community you think no real knew like was it when he came out as gay where they all like Wow, like Ricky Martin, a big surprise. Or was it, or was it a genuine surprise when he came out? You see, I think it's amazing because, um, well, dirty, devious publicists like me <laughs> are great at manipulating a story, and that's yeah. what you would do. It's amazing that, you know, I'd still, I'd still talk to family and younger members of my extended family, and we had a conversation about someone who's quite clearly gay that they yeah. were even right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's not out, but we all know this person's gay. Yeah, everyone in our industry knows this person's gay. But if I want to take if this, is my 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 husband's niece I want to take her as Joe Public, yeah. and she's seventeen or eighteen, she's like, no, he's not. Yeah, he yeah. can't be. I'm yeah. Like, okay. So yeah, and 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 that's now when we live in you know the most much more open, open. society. Yeah, mm. you know, back then, no, it was easy to spin. You know, and again, okay. what do you do? Get him. Coming out of some nightclub, just literally shove what 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 publicists then will go a dolly bird. Yeah, <laughs> George, put your arm around here, and yeah. that's it. That's that that's that cycle of news for twenty four hours, and, yeah. then, and then it's gone. And then he'll he'll have to fight that again, and the yeah. waves of it just kept coming back and coming back. I think in a way, maybe what happened in in L A was 
you know, that he he kind of forced the issue rather than to have to do the, but you know, yeah, mm. I know he did go on Parkinson back in the nineties. That was the thing, you yeah. know, if you went Parkinson or, or, or whatever Wogan, but you know, and just go and sit there and say the words, I'm a, yeah. gay, a gay man. So I think maybe he forced it a little himself. I think he confessed to yeah, kind of doing he, that himself. He did speak. He spoke about that a couple of times, how he thinks like subconsciously that was him kind of pushing it. And I think that he comes across through like watching interviews with him, reading interviews with him, articles about him is that he was very stubborn and had a very, like had a very negative reaction with the press. Didn't like it and almost felt like I'm not going to give you that moment of contrition of sitting down with you and giving you that story. You can bully and push me. But yeah. Ultimately, I'm going to do it my way, which ended up being kind of following on from you know, we, we talked about the fact that he was living his life as an out gay man. He had been he was in a six year long relationship yeah. until his partner died in, in the early 90s and then started a new relationship with was it Kenny, Kenny Goss. Kenny, Kenny Goss, Goss. Yeah. After that and was with him for another. And that was within the like that was before the. But it's interesting as well, that 98 uh, interview on CNN, which was the first yeah. one that he did. Um, and it was it was in in New York, and he never says the words "I'm gay." If, mm. you, if you watch it again, and he's yeah. very, and again he's a shrewd operator. He was very very very. Uh, he knew how to, to to game the system. You know, yeah, yeah. he said he says the words which were amazing to hear even back then. I was twenty eight on the cusp of coming out, and George mm. Michael was a, he said the words "I am in a relationship with another man." Yeah, never said I'm gay. And what did, what did that mean to you then? And to maybe your peers at that time who, like, if you think about it, that would have been five years after homosexuality had been decriminalised here in Ireland. Yeah. You're still living in a society that's very closed, very Catholic ethos. So seeing someone who had been an icon of yours over the... How, how did you... Did you did you relate to that? Personally, on a personal level, I remember seeing the I Am Gay Stephen Gately cover and, like, that was, like, yeah. a hole to the blue for me. Right. Um, and that so that was going to the one that, like, really hit me. But I wonder... Oh, you make me feel old now. That was, that was, that was like... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it actually wasn't too much longer after that, to be honest. Wasn't with that? Me, no. Okay. I think it was only a couple of years after, but I just remember that was the one for me that hit. So I was wondering, like, as someone who's mm. been such a fan of George Michael... Did that have that additional meaningful? Well, uh, I think what what happened, well, you know, my story was a bit was you know your teenage years and and you figure it out and I figured it out really early. Yeah, you know, it was like second day in secondary school. Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to name them, but these two buttes transferred. No, so it was second year. I always remember it was, and these two boys transferred from Castleknock College, <laughs> and I was just transfixed. By them. I was just like, who are these? What? Another blokes? What? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Wow, it's great. I haven't met them since and I have told them, which they've found hilarious. <laughs> in fact, both their wives think the best <laughs> ever. And they were like, yeah, they're pretty hot. All right. I was like, Can you imagine? I was fucking 13. And, and they came in their swarthy black gothiness. And that was my thing at the time. I was a bit of a goth. Nothing really, nothing really lines up to like unrequited teenage lust, really. Look, no, and it, it never just, matches. And it was like, boom. Yeah. It's like, I literally remember like... Especially if it's forbidden, like, when you're in the closet. It's yeah. just like, he can't... So my whole teenage years were in the closet. And then I went... As I always said, you know, I went too far. Yeah. It yeah. got past the stage where, you know, oh, 17, 18, still... I literally had no sexual experiences. Yeah. Um, and 21, 21, 2 to 23, 24, dated a girl, then split up. Yeah, twenty four. Going right, right twenty four. Right. Well, at least you tried that. That's a disaster. Yeah. Um, you're a big fucking queer. Why didn't you just tell me? <laughs> and then work thing really started kicking off for me. I started working in clubs, and I was a busy boy around town. And I'd go to loads of gay clubs. Yeah. And I had loads of gay friends. 
Yeah. And I was in the whole space. And it literally would have just taken me to just go, just, you're gay. Just, yeah. just, just tell, tell a bloke, random bloke at the bar. That you're yeah. In. You know, I was, I used to go to ham in the pod uh, as a straight guy. Yeah. And then when I came out, then I walked in and Rory and it was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, of course we're all fucking you. Yeah. <laughs> God's sake, about time. Yeah. And, you know, and it was all of that. So I, I went all that way. And, you know, gay icons are queer icons from, um, from, from music. You know, what, what do we have? We, we had? we had Boy George and Jimmy Somerville. Yeah, and that was you know? awesome. Yeah. And they were, and for us, you know, when you're in that, in that closeted space of going, it's just like, oh, no, they're dirty queers. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. all that self-loathing and all that bullshit that you go through is all attached to that. And then you look at, and then George was like 28, and you go, well, he's not exactly the most mask for mask either. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was out there, and he was, he was saying these things, you know, and he was saying these words. You know, decriminalization in 1993 didn't get any conversation about gay life yeah. happening in Ireland yeah it was just a very cold I thought de facto thing yeah it's mm. now not illegal you will now not be arrested yes you know yes. and now we come full circle <clears throat> to, to last year and gay guys getting arrested for a cottage in, 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 the, in the toilets in, in Jervis Street that you know and it's just weird that that has happened as well and that the straight man, married man with kids doesn't get named in court and the queers do. I, I, I'm yeah. still fucking angry that, no, about I, that. No, I, I, I'm pretty angry about that as you well. Know, because I thought that, that we'll is get to an that in a bit. Of, but that is an example of where the, the disregard for queer life and queer identity still exists and where there's still an idea that, you know, you need to be protected if you're kind of playing your role within yeah. the, the system, which I suppose is kind of the story of George Michael as long as he was playing his role within... This, and he yeah. was like giving kind of payment back to the media who were kind of in control of his... But you have to understand as well, you know, record companies, record labels, pop stars, um, the media, PR, it's all a very big intertwined machine. Yeah. You know, and people think I'm bands naively and I've, you know, I don't want to upset or offend any of my musician friends by saying this, but, you know, a lot of them naively go in there thinking it's not and it'll be great and they'll be the ones that will change it and they'll do things on their own terms and they will never compromise. I've loads of friends like that. Yeah. And, and they haven't and, and they're right, but they're playing in a pub down the yeah. corner. Yeah. I've yeah. loads of friends who did and they've been on top of the pops a thousand times. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there are some that straddle that line brilliantly and they're those kind of revered artists yeah. that we love. But, you know, as I said, it was a machine and George was very happy to get into the interview. If you read Andrew's book and I found a really, I remember finishing yeah, Andrew's, book, Andrew's book and they're well. just putting it down and just going, well, that was fucking sad mm, yeah. because Andrew's just, you know, he still comes across incredibly naive. Yeah. You know, and he came across very naive about either the split uh, how basically George had orchestrated that a thousand moves before Andrew saw it yeah he'd been in those discussions with a new manager a new agent a new record label long before yeah. the thing you know and, and everything about it and you know he, he, Andrew he addresses the issue of, uh, of the royalties for Careless Whisper that yeah. George gave them to him and instead of just fessing up and going, yeah, he's right, he did. He, he makes a very, I think, cack-handed claims that he wrote part of it and he, this is how the song came about and this kind of, my idea was this. And I'm yes. just like, no, nah, Andrew, just, just, you know. <laughs> just admit just it. Admit it, you know. George, George was, was buying you off. George was <laughs> buying you off. <laughs> out of guilt because he knew he was dumping you. He knew yeah. he had a solo career. He had an absolute plan. And, in, 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 you know, he, well, he was, 
I, you know, he was shrewd. I don't keep coming back to it, but he really was. No, he, he mm. comes across as that way, and you see him in interviews. Not even just shrewd. Shrewd makes him sound bad. He was just smart. He was just canny. He knew yeah, he was he, like, yeah, exactly. He knew, and he knew how to play it as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you're right. He was. You said that he was like he was like ten steps ahead. He did seem like he was always ten steps ahead, and he also was very, very, very sure of himself, which was unusual for someone who had spent so many years feeling so uncertain in their in their. But he claims. So much that yeah. he that he it was exactly the opposite of that yeah that yes. he was so unsure and that he hated the whole business and Andrew makes that claim a million times in his book yeah that that the, you know that he was he was very unsure of himself and he didn't you know I don't I never saw that side too yeah. you know but, looking, then, but that's why it. he stepped back from the the promoting of Listen Without Prejudice right because he hated the industry that's why his bottom line was I'll be totally cynical and call that a move okay (laughs) (laughs) so you're like someone on the inside looking at him like that was that was a way that was another way of like because I mean it worked well with the freedom video (laughs) right but he says that's why his sales dropped in the US and his you know he didn't have the same career in the US as he did in the UK after that Mm. I know but look then at the same time when he had a greatest his best of was was that also that was ninety yeah. eight yeah it yeah. literally came out mm. after that whole story I mean come on no that yeah. was definitely he we had changed his shoes <laughs> at that point but yeah well, I think was, that there was there's like a couple of those like there's a couple of those artists well him and Kylie are the two that I can think of who kind of had sort of massive success in the states but they know that they need to you need to keep tending to that if you want to maintain it yeah and so you just were like accept the fact that like that's just not where my career is going to be and I'm happy enough. Well, Kylie did not have half the career. That well, it did have half the career, but she had like George two Michael moments. likes outsold Mike, like George Michael's faith outsold Michael Jackson's bad in the US. Like yeah, but it's, successful it, it, the was. States is just such a huge, a different animal and, you know, there, there's two ways of tackling it and some bands uh, will be just relentlessly keep going back and keep mm. going back because there's such a lot to do all the yeah. time. Yeah. You know, unless you have five number one singles or five number one albums back to back in the States. Yeah. So a lot of artists, that might happen for them. And then they go, great, I don't need to go there all the time. Yes. I can yeah. tour there every three years and I'll still be huge. Mm. Yeah. Some artists just need to keep plugging away at it. Exactly. It's a hard yeah. slog. Yeah. Wow, where do we get off that? I don't, I don't, I'm going to go, I, go from, the, from, the hard, from that hard slog to, to um, an, an even uh, more difficult slog some nights, I'm sure. Uh, back to, to cruising. and I was going to ask, can we, can we focus in on the actual instant in the in that toilet in LA yeah, because yeah. based on his account of it is he is walking through the park and one policeman basically flashes or I don't know, makes some gesture at him he goes in and it's just him and two other policemen who have encouraged yeah. him in it is I me I don't that was new to me I thought he was just properly cottaging and the police invaded it was actually a setup well, if you wanted, you know, a good proper cruise is the thrill and the chase. And yeah. it's catching someone's eye and there's a knowing nod, a knowing look. And then there's a, usually a, a nod or a glance to go in wherever you're going. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that's what they did. You know, there was a brilliant line in one of the interviews, one of the TV interviews he did. I think it might have been actually on Parkinson when uh, he, he said, uh, he, he said, well, look, you know, the LAPD knew what they were doing. I mean, mm. you want to see the guy they sent me. They didn't send Columbo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, but, sure because yeah. you were like, asking like was he targeted and they were yeah. like well he's like I don't know if I was targeted and he goes well, but you know 
but they, they sent their hunkiest guy. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think he pretty much was targeted. Yeah. But he was only targeted because he'd obviously been doing it there before. Before, yeah. And, you know? and the paparazzi were ready to go, it seems, as well. If Police reports, well, that's a problem in America. Yeah. You know, police yeah. reports are released mm. within four or five hours of, yeah. of someone being, you know. But I just feel it makes the whole thing a lot more sinister when I hear that actually it wasn't like he they'd walked in on him just having sex with another Joe Public. It was, it, it seems yeah, to be set up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I don't know if it fly here. I'm not legal eagle. Um, I, mm. don't, I don't know. Well, no, but it is, I mean, I think it is a, a different, like, I think that it's a sort of an operation that can exist in the States where they're able to go out and kind of, like, lure you into committing a crime and then say, well, you had the intention, so therefore we can right. publish, yeah. you for, publish you for it. Whereas I think, I believe here, like, if, if a situation like that occurs, you can't be encouraged or tempted to commit the crime. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a different setup. Um, but he did also, I suppose, when he was talking about cruising, he t- comes back a lot to the thrill of it and particularly how the guilt of doing it was creating that kind of like sexiness in it. And I think that was something that was sort of, I suppose, interesting to me that that was tied to this guilt that he was feeling and this depression he was in following, for this particular incident, the, 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 the following the death of his partner and of his mother, it sort of brought him back to it. So it was a self-destructive thing, but also a thing he celebrated and enjoyed because sex and the fun in sex have been such a huge part of his career. Mm. So it's sort of a weird kind of like, a, a yeah. j- way it jars with each other. Well, I'm sure uh, this therapist would, you know, have a field day with it. But, you know, if, if you look back at maybe, you know, whatever connection that there was between uh, the, no, you can't do that or back to his closeted days or to having that random encounter and then that terrible guilt. Yeah. Because that was a lot of it for a lot of gay men, you know. Um, and I think he might have been just you know, hankering back to a bit of that. Yeah. Also not helping the fact that he was smoking four acres of grass well, that's a true. day. Here's a question for you. Had you at that time been the publicist that he was turning to, to say the phone, the one phone call he got from, uh, from the Beverly Hills jail was to you to say, how do I handle this? What advice would you have given him? And would it have been make a satirical music video that like takes the piss out of the whole thing? No, I'd have probably gone the lame, put him up on, on 60 Minutes or, yeah, you know, put him face to face with Barbara mm. Walters or whoever it was at yeah. the time, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, back to again, George Savinus, you know, he was mm. just like, do you know what? And again, all of that, and the media, of course, I was in, in the immediate days, but, you know, in the weeks and months and months, they hounded him and hounded yeah. him and hounded him. Yeah. And, and he, he's, he never uttered a single word about it. Never. And his, his first utterance, which was just brilliant, George, was that video from yeah. the outside. Yeah. yeah. You know? And it was just a brilliant fuck you as well. It was. Mm. You know? That was the, the best. That was the great thing about it. It was taking a, uh, a sort of a structure that existed for so long in terms of this public shaming of a, of a celebrity or a well-known figure doing something wrong. And then they have to go on the media tour to apologize. And they have to hit all. They have to go to the Barbara Walters. They have to appear, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with Parkinson. They have to, you know, make amends for it. Appear with some it's sad like They people. want sackcloth and ashes. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and exactly. Like, yeah, Whit- Whitney should have released a song called Crack is Whack. And it would have totally right? changed her trajectory. <laughs> 
but that's effectively what he did. You know, he took he took that that pull yeah. quote of the headlines, and he he was like, "What's what's your issue?" But and like, but he used he he told the story in the lyrics mm. of the song yeah. as well. You know, and it's like, "Yes, I've been bad." You know, and just yeah. you know, that's as much as an apology as I is deserve or you are getting. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's what I loved about it as well. Yeah, you know, but I think part of the crusade he'd been on. I mean, since the Wham Wham was like very saccharine and sweet and poppy, but like since his he had taken off with his solo career, like he really like focused in on the celebration of sex and the enjoyment of sex. Like, and I think that this was just him coming back to that again. Because if you think, if you listen to the, the obviously older had been heavily influenced by the depression he'd been feeling since um, the passing of his partner and mm. his mother. And he spoke a lot about kind of like sort of healing yourself through fast love or through casual sex. Outside was a real return to that pop sensibilities you had before that. Really kind of just being like, this is fun. I've got my humor back. It's dancey. It's disco. It's overtly fun. Even though the subject matter of this is something illegal that I've been hauled through court for it that I've been made to do 80 yeah. hours of, mm. of uh, community service which he actually makes a joke about in the lyrics I'd love to know what people thought of Older when it first came out in like a song like Spinning the Wheel which is like basically about you know having like, an open relationship with somebody in yeah. the time of AIDS and worrying that they're going to bring AIDS yeah. back to your house and I'm just like what, if you didn't know he was gay and you didn't know all of this, like, what did people think the lyrics were about? Well, I just, just thought, I just thought it was brilliant that from, from there on in, like I mentioned earlier, that, you know, he, he said on that CNN interview, you know, when I was writing then, I was writing about girls. Yeah. Mm. Now I'm writing about men. Yeah. So that was a bit like, wow. Yeah. Every yeah. time you, you you heard a new George Michael track and you would just analyse the, the, the lyrics to yeah. death and you're like going... He's talking about cock. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but this is brilliant. For and my ma's in the kitchen singing away to it. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I, I remember that my, like, Older by George Michael was one of those albums that my dad had on in the car constantly. And I just associated it then entirely with kind of, like, bland dad music. Yeah. Was what I had. It, it had a, and now listening back to it, particularly kind of as we've been coming up to, to talking about him, you're listening to the lyrics and it is all about it's so explicit yeah. but <laughs> yeah. in such a cloaked way yeah. it's so strange like it's masterfully done yeah and it, like actually going back having this this has given me the opportunity to go back and, and, and listen to him and engage with his music in a way I never done before and it's weird because it's almost like finding an icon I didn't even really know existed because mm. I had written him off in that like teeny bopper wham phase then he came back and he made boring music for my dad and then he you know sadly passed away I had no real relationship with him whereas now I feel like I've actually kind of embraced him in a way which I, which I think is wonderful I think the sad thing is about his untimely passing was that he was just again so fucking relevant yes and I yeah. think he probably felt he hadn't been for a while himself yeah you mm. know I just thought he was in a brilliant place musically and what he was writing I, you know? I mean you see you see the likes of Elton John having a kind of a, another moment again now and kind of coming like becoming like you, you just see that that's a, you can imagine had he not kind of continued to spiral a bit out of control and ended up having that kind of like shuntering kind of career faults and then and then sadly, tragically passing away that he could very easily have had a massive comeback particularly now that there would be such an interest in him as like the first openly gay pop megastar yeah teen heart like so it would be very interesting to see what he had to say now and it's a real shame we're not going to get that especially as he opened up his voice much more on the like political side of things yeah, well, I think what I'd, what I'd love to have been him to be around now and be talking about, you know, was what his with his current partner and quite clearly that they had an open relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. but love him to be actually sitting down talking to 
Oprah. The Guardian or Oprah or yeah. whoever and talking about that. And yes. just going, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. We all, not all queers, just because we've fought for equality doesn't mean that we want to mimic yes. st- everything about straight life. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I think a, a lot of people, a lot of, particularly a lot of straight people, kind of look down their noses at gay people that, that have open relationships when we know that there's actually gazillions of straight people do as well. Yeah. But the, you know, the inference is dirty queers fucking everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, and, and I just, it would be amazing to have, you know, yeah. our official, we need to go to our <laughs> official spokesperson, George Michael. And just go, you know. Because it was in mid 2000s where that, this guy claimed he was having sex with him and Hampstead Heath and he, yes. he denied it, but he said, I, you know, Hampstead Heath is the best place to go cruising in London and it's a 20 minute walk from my house. Why wouldn't I go? I thought, yeah. it, was, I thought, <laughs> I thought it was an amazing utterance and a brilliant headline. It wasn't, it wasn't a headline, but it really resonated with me. It was just that line he used where he just said, he, he just said, sorry, but you know, cruising and cottaging and choosing to live our lives is as much a part of, of, of gay culture as our struggle for equality. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing him slightly there. Yeah. But more or less, you know, when he said cruising and all that, it, it's part of our culture. And, and it was amazing to hear some, someone like him say that. It was brushed off by mainstream media as, yeah. again, dirty goat queers are at it again. Yeah. And it's interesting because that actually, that idea and that concept is so relevant now as kind of queer culture has become something that the mainstream is picking from in terms of drag and all the rest of it. And you see kind of corporations getting involved in Pride and then they want Pride to be sort of washed clean of any of the overt sexuality mm-hmm. or want it to be washed clean of sort of anything that could besmirch their brand. So they again are coming over to us and saying much like with marriage equality and you you can have equality so long as you're doing it like us and now we want to take your celebration but it needs to be in a way that is palatable to us and the way we want to work and i think that it's very interesting because i see that that conversation has been going on for a long time and there there isn't really any there's a reason it's called marriage equality and not marriage similarity yeah yeah (laughs) you know we don't want marriage similarity no no, we don't want marriage equivalent you know we want marriage equivalent (laughs) we want equality we want legal recognition end of Mm. how we choose to uh, frame those partnerships and relationships and marriages that's our fucking business but coming back to the actual video though it was I suppose you mentioned this before as well interesting that he had included in it kind of the most the widest variety of couple types engaging in the broadest totally. variety of yeah. well activities. I'd say that there wasn't one black person in either couples because I checked no, no black wow. two, and there are two outrageously <laughs> hot Latino boys right in the dance there was yeah and yeah. he had a black backing dancer because I was cause okay. for the relatability I was just checking how inclusive it was and I was like these are all white okay. yeah. cis men uh, but I liked that there was the much older woman younger I guy like that. There mm. were, but I, and again I think it was a bit of a fuck you too as well again it's not just the queers that are outside yeah. cottaging and, yeah. and, and, and riding in the streets and in the alleys you know straight people are at it yeah. of every shape size and hue but apparently you're saying not, no black people no yeah. black people okay <laughs> Jesus. but I, I did think it was interesting I don't know if you noticed because over the court like the video I, I love the way the video builds and builds and then there's like the the like the glitter bathroom reveal I, I think it's fantastic I might love the bathroom scene I, yeah. I kind of wish there was more of the bathroom scene <laughs> yeah. but the um, what I noticed towards at the end of the video was that when the arrests are all happening it's all the men are being arrested but the women yeah. in those situations oh. And I was like, is that like a nod or like a, is that kind of a notion of women get away with it? Because I'm like, women really don't get away with it. Like women don't have permission to be like sexual in any way whatsoever. So I was wondering if that was like a kind of a, like I was wondering if that was a 
that was intentional. And I wasn't sure, was there any lesbian couples in a There lift? was a lesbian couple. There, there was two people in a lift that could have been lesbian. Yes. Sure if there, was. Was a, there, was a, there was a woman, there was one sitting at a desk. Okay. okay. And then put her, remember. put her, put her leg, I, one put her leg up the table, the other one right in. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> there you go. I think maybe what you were just saying there might be more a nod to the LAPD. That you're yes. saying it was just yeah. all the men that were arrested. I think maybe that's what he was, the yeah. point he might have been trying to make there. Yeah. You know, that they're scum, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Queer Classified is a co production between Sissy Productions and Tall Tales Podcasts. Follow Keenan James over on at Sissy Productions to celebrate and enjoy all things queer and cultured. And follow at Tall Tales Podcast, the home of great Irish podcasts. That's at tall underscore tales underscore podcasts. I think we, we can move on now a bit to the to the ratings, I suppose, of the actual, uh, of the video. So we have our little rating system. Okay. Um, so the first one was around sort of relatability. So as a queer person, as queer, this thing, as it was shot and portrayed to us, did it feel relatable or like it represented us and our community? Yeah, I do. Because I have to put everything in context of, of the time. Yes. Mm. yes. So, you know, look at it now, it's just a bit lame. To be yes. honest, but at a time and of the time, my God, it was it was nine out of ten. Yes, you know, it was yeah. just like, and I suppose you kind of knew. No, not think you knew. I think he'd hoped. Well, I had hoped that there'd be some sort of reveal. Okay, he was dressed as the cop, and I thought, oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. you know, duh. Yeah. and you know, there was no nudge, nudge, wink, wink to your friends, and then you know, as you say, the full reveal of the bathroom yeah. turning into a nightclub, and mm. you're like, boom, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I I, just, I, I I thought it was exactly the same as you. Nine out of ten, really relatable. The thing for the time, because the thing that was interesting about it is that you think now how cruising has been impacted by the likes of Grindr. So, like, that culture doesn't really exist anymore so much. So people who are watching it now aren't going to necessarily understanding understand the nuances of cruising or what, like, an integral part mm-hmm. of the queer experience it would have been prior to, like, the year 2000 or the year 2010. I can't remember when Grindr happened. I, I don't even want to know how long I've been on Grindr for, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> but it's, it's a generational thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so when you're saying, you know, uh, grinder is killed cruising it hasn't it yeah. just means that there's young queers that don't even a don't even know what cruising is yeah and b wouldn't be interested in it yeah. you know go on holidays go away anywhere go to a big gay me- you know um Mecca. metropolis or, you know, or you know yeah go to canaries or go to sitges or go to wherever there's still a hell of a lot of cruising going on yeah, yeah. hell of a lot yeah it's just there's a whole new generation that haven't experienced the joys of it. I wonder. I do. I, I wonder now. Is it kind of because the the as as a more youthful kind of population follow the older, there sometimes can be a kitsch appreciation of things that. Are, so I wonder, is there going to is it going to become sort of the trendy thing to do now as apps the, start the, the cool out? retro thing? Well, kind it's of retro. You go. Oh, no, 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 no. Are, are you actually suggesting that that they're going to hipsterize cruising? I, I am saying. I'm having none of this. The gentrification of cruising. I'm here that first. That is my first novel. The gentrification of cruising. No. <laughs> no, no, I'm laying a marker down and I'm calling it now. You go cruising, no. you have sex with them, and then they go, want to buy my merch? <laughs> Seriously. Straight from here, we are going down to the Furry Glen with some signs. Get your hipsters off our Glen. Right. I mean, it's bad enough that queers that are hooking up on Grinder right now are checking each other's vaccination certs <laughs> when they're hooking up. Where Christ is the sake. danger? You know? Come on, live a little, kids. Boosted only, please. <laughs> yeah. 
I reviewed it more from a t- from a, a lens today, I guess, like what I recommended from a point of view today. And I guess we are spoiled for uh, depictions of queer life that are a lot mm. more diverse than you see in that video. So it was very much white, male, cisgendered men. Um, but like for that community, I think it is a 9 10. So I gave it a, a six and a half overall. I loved the bathroom scene. I kind of wanted fewer straight couples, uh, right. personally. I, I got their inclusion because it's not just them. But I thought the ratio of straight couples to gay couples could be a bit higher. Hmm. And I also didn't see the lesbian couple. I probably would have bumped it up if I'd seen them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, six and a half. half. Yeah. Uh, so the next one was storytelling. And obviously, the I, I mean, it's a it's a... A satirical reflection of true events uh, and then also kind of a commentary on how the the, the media with one hand is clutching its pearls mm-hmm. um sort of you know aghast at, at, at these things with this other hand like firmly down its pants kind of pleasuring itself to to it in a, in, a, in a really fairly crass way so i really enjoyed the fact that he took this and he used the um he used the kind of the swedish porno 70s style yeah. to start telling that story i liked all the diversity that i saw like even in terms of like introducing fetish and bondage and the different types of couples so i i i gave it a nine out of 10 for storytelling as well what about you buzz oh look i mean talk about knocking it out of the park i mean it's an absolute one utter 10 out of 10 yeah how and this is again the genius of him as a as a writer and an artist and a storyteller yeah he is telling a story in a video that we already all know the story too yeah yet we're engrossed in it yeah, that's fucking genius. See, I marked it down because I don't think you really got it until you knew the backstory. Like, does a twelve? Well, you have to live in the moment at the time. There, yes, was, there true. wasn't a wasn't a person on the planet Earth that yeah. didn't know that story. But yeah. looking back, and at we it, were waiting for that. Video. An eighteen-year-old now looking at it, I don't know if they're going to get the story. Mm, possibly not. I don't know because he did include throughout it like little like snippets. I know you had to listen for them, but snippets of like the news and the reporting that happened over the course. And so in the background of like when you're hearing the helicopter, mm. around, you can hear kind of oh George Michael has been arrested. Yeah. So you you can kind of that he's included that little bit of like world building. Yeah. <laughs> and I I think it is probably one of the greatest examples of reclaiming your narrative. Oh, I think so too. <laughs> Uh, I'm absolutely not denying that and it's going to get points out later on but I just felt look also it's a music video it's three minutes it's very hard to tell a good yeah. story getting me in the land all this sort of stuff but I just felt and maybe and maybe he wasn't really trying to tell the story he's trying to like you know the story let me you know let me be unashamedly about it so I gave it a four. Oh well <laughs> Um, well, moving on from <laughs> the cancellation of Keane Sullivan wow. uh, to the overall style of the video. I just loved everything from the nonce to the 70s to like police uniforms to nightsticks. I thought it was unashamed. I loved it. I gave it 10 out of 10. I thought it was perfect. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, again, it kind of overlaps on what, what I've just said. But, you know, um, the look and feel of it is brilliant. Um, yeah. And again, he's telling a story that we all know. But um, um, there's no punchline at the end that's going to be, um, you know, heartbreaking for yes. us. He went into the Jacks. He got his Mickey out. Yeah. <laughs> and he became one of the most famous men on, 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 the, planet. on the planet. <laughs> yeah. He actually said on one of the Parkinson interviews, uh, when, when he said he was very honoured to be there. So he did this kind of like mm. prequel before the interview started. And Parky said something to him like, oh, well, no, you, you, it's just amazing to have you here. And he just goes, well, to be honest, I don't think I'd have gotten the full hour if I hadn't got my Mickey out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Parky was like, well, of course we'll do it. You know? And he's like, oh, we, we both know Parkinson. We both 
here. I yeah. Love <laughs> yeah, I gave it an 8 out of 10. It was great, great use of drones. I wish there was more of the bathroom scene. I loved it so much. Yeah. Like, I wish, I know they kind of filled it in a bathroom, but I kind of wish those walls, like, pulled back and it was a massive, just big club yeah. party and grinding and everything. Um, yeah, I would have probably liked more diversity. Like, I know you mentioned kink. I think they could have pushed into the kink a bit more. Like, it's yeah. just, I can only think of, like, the couple, him walking as a dog. But yeah. like yeah, but you know, again, we're 1998, and remember that we are at the height of probably the kind of nearly tail end, I suppose. Yeah. Of of the MTV power, and that mm. was that yeah. was your key to number one success yeah. in the states. And so it, no, very good. That's and it was again as well during the time where there was that real push against the the gay agenda and like you know, the the I think they had just brought in the like the the the, the rules which forbade any sort of like marriage equality over there. Also, it was at a point where any sort of suggestion of homosexuality was Listen, we're of, talking about coming out of the Reagan years and coming into double Bush years <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in, in the States it was not a pretty yeah. time no. to be a gay man you know and then last but not least was enjoyability and I took I, I thought of it just because I looked at the style of the video all the rest of it and I just like about the song and you know what I think it's a really class song I think it holds up so I give it 10 out of 10 it was a, a song I remembered loving at like when I was like much younger when I wasn't necessarily as understanding of like the, the overtures being made. No, no. And I remember it in the same way, like kind of in the same way that Frankie said, relax. Yeah. You know, I had that same kind of like thing of like dancing around, kind of singing that as a youth. And now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, that was a song about big dirty gays riding. And yeah. I loved it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> well, speaking of it, like, the, I, like I remember the first proper CD I had that I got really into music was, Huge Hits 99, which had a kill. I looked it up again, had a killer top opening to 10 songs, whatever it was. But I was uh, seven at the time. And I same Christmas, <laughs> I had learned about Cluedo. And because there's so many rooms of the house <laughs> mentioned in the song, I was like, this song reminds you of Cluedo to my mum. I'm sure my mum was like, oh, God bless <laughs> that wow. little naive boy. <laughs> Oh that's not the crime God. that's going what on. Were you doing with the, <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing with the candlestick? <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, but I, I guess when I was judging enjoyability, I was judging it purely on the video. Um, and I, definitely it's a really solid video. But I don't love it as much as I love the act of defiance that it represents. So I give it a seven. Well, enjoyability for me was the video, but nice as well. Uh, James, you touched on, on, on the song because... If you can put that song, and I still contest you can put that song on in any bar right now, yeah. mm. maybe not in a big nightclub, but and yeah. people will still dance and yeah. sing to it. Definitely. That's enjoyability, you know. And I think it's yeah. so interesting how he opens Sorry, it. Sorry, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting he opens it in a voice that's not recognizably George Michael, like in that deep, you know, yeah. kind of sacred mm. sofa. Like it's uh, kind of like text and draw to it. Mm. And it's interesting. And it isn't until maybe like the first few lines that he kind of brings himself in. It's yeah. like. But what I want to be, uh, where I wanted to be, is in that first pitch meeting, you know, because mm. let's say 1998, we are definitely talking limited email, yeah. email, whatever, yeah. you know, but that back and forward between his manager and the record label and the conversation after he sat down and, and drawn out the story for his director yeah. and his cinematographer, mm. and then they go to the record label and present this is the video for <laughs> I want to be in that meeting so yeah. bad I think that's that's a testament to the power he had as a recording artist at that time that he was even able to get that across the line because yeah. there's many people who wouldn't have even been entertained they'd be like oh no actually you see you're not making another album mm -hmm. you're just cancelled mm. <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah. I'm sure he could have paid for the albums himself, though, true, I guess. True. But, but yeah, and like you said, repackaging his hits because he has quite he is quite a strange musical career in like his eras because he only had what five four studio albums like, yeah and like he's i kind of grew up with him as like you know michael jackson prince bruce springsteen george michael are the biggest four of the 80s yeah. kind of yeah. and it's like when you look back at the catalogs of the other three and then he just has four albums it's kind of strange and he has bits and bobs here he has like yeah. don't let the sun go down on me and outside as these kind of loose singles that it's not really until you get that greatest hits where you get them all in one go and you can kind of package them up and to capitalize on the bad press and making them something press is, is there right. you go. that's your yeah. that's your canniness yeah. there yeah uh, all in all I think that it's a real pity that he, he isn't around to enjoy this he, episode to enjoy this episode <laughs> well no to enjoy the, the, the rightful place he would have uh, sort of asserted himself within like he would have been there with with the Ian McKellen's kind of you know yeah. you know knocked out for every Terence Higgins awards kind of uh, ceremony and it's a real pity that like his he doesn't seem get to see how his voice will have enabled people like say Lil Nas X to be hmm. doing what they're doing and, and, and representing themselves how they are today so and also like shame he didn't get knighted I mean, yeah. like his his partner Kenny Goss thinks that over the thirteen years they were together, he gave over ten million euro to charities, yeah, but just didn't publicize it, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. and so fully deserves it, like you know, no more than Elton does, you know, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for talking, George Michael, with us. There was a story that you were going to tell us some of, which you might as well give us now for bonus material. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, so so uh, so in in my many strands of my career, uh, I I work have worked and I still do work uh, on a lot of uh, big concerts and events. So I'm a freelance gun for hire. Yeah. So I work for all the promoters here. Do pretty much every big outdoor festival or concert. Some stuff overseas. Uh, a friend of mine who was on tour with a band. You make lots of friends in this industry, yeah. and people you see them on the same circuit, and they're with one band one year and another band next year. And a production manager, a pal of mine, called me up and said, uh, "Are you available? What's your summer looking like?" And I was like, well, "Actually, nothing on." This was fifteen, oh, maybe it wasn't fourteen years. So this was fifteen, sixteen years ago, maybe. And uh, he goes, okay, this guy's going to call you. There's a production assistant job on the next George Michael tour. I've told him you're just perfect for it. It's Europe and Russia. And it's about like four or five months. And I was like, yeah. cool, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So I get a call, speak to this production manager. And then I realize who the production manager. And in our industry, this production manager was absolute effing royalty. I mean, the guy was Paul McCartney's production manager. Yeah. And he just done absolutely everybody. And we had a brilliant chat. It didn't seem like it didn't have the job at all. So that's fine. And I used to speak to my other pal who'd send it. Um, he's how to go. I said, great. Yeah, yeah, I think I've got, I've got it. Just to give you that, the background there. Um, not because to be, you know, cliching or whatever. So a lot of production assistants on a lot of touring crews are, are nearly always women. Um, so you could even have a female production manager, but there's always yeah. women are really. I mean, uh, most a lot of my bosses for, throughout the last twenty years in, in in have been in high powered jobs have all been women. They're yeah. just they're just they're just on it. Tour mm. managers, production yeah. managers. 
Um, but they had felt, either not particularly from this tour or as a general uh, rule, that uh, there was a bit too much fucking going on and on the tour and it always gets messy and someone starts dating someone in and they split up and then the tour goes to shit. <laughs> and nothing's getting done because they're fighting with this one. So they came up to the idea, hey, let's get a guy in as a production assistant. <laughs> Hence, uh, I get the call. And I hear nothing for like a few days and that's fine. I ring my pal back and he was like, oh, did they not come back to you? No, come here, look, it's not going to, I don't think that's going to work out. So uh, I went, okay, cool, no problem. And that happens, you know, you yeah. you may have loads of leads on, you might have a job here, you might work in this festival and that's fine. It was then told back to me many, many, many years later by another friend who ended up on that particular tour. And he was like, oh, you were supposed to be going on that. And I was like, yeah. I said, oh, well, look, it would have been great. And he goes, yeah. So apparently what we heard was that um, it wasn't that uh, what the crew needed, uh, didn't need, was another female distraction on it. But what George didn't need was another fucking queer distraction. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, I feel flattered. (laughs) And then I was like, am I his type? I think I am. Actually, I was like, right. So they didn't want me to go on tour with George Michael because they thought we might end up fucking. I and, and I was like, who knows where your life could have ended up yeah. then? Right, <laughs> <laughs> having a heart attack in a, in a, in a car age fifty two. Oh, Stop. So you've heard the scores. There, we're going to average them all up and classify them in our ranking system so at the top it's certified legend then you have certified classic mid-table you could be a certified whatever and then in the lower ranks certified busted or for the outright offensive piece of content certified Mm -hmm. so that means outside by george michael gets an average of 8.2 out of 10 meaning it's certified classic bang the stamp you know part of me feels bad that i it's partially mm-hmm. got to do with me that's probably not legendary <laughs> but i'm happy with that well, classification I, are you i actually okay i'm going to say that yes i am because i think that to you know the, there was a generational divide in the room <laughs> and that i think that it is probably something that resonates like the actual people who were really were there and understood the conversation that was happening at the time that it came out, it would resonate quite strongly with. Mm. And queer culture has moved on significantly in the last number of years. So, so some of the conversations or some of the, the, the points it speaks to around the kind of sexual liberation and cruising, particularly, mm. you know, is, um, is probably less kind of relevant now than maybe it was a couple of years ago. And, you know, George Michael's career has moved on and tragically he's passed away. And mm. I suppose, you know, his, his legacy has been revisited. We're all appreciating what a wonderful and, and, and talented musician he was. And this is maybe a bit more light in some respects yeah. as well. No, agree. You know, like you said, we're here to review it through a contemporary lens. I think that's fair. And also, I'm trying to remember back to after he passed and that those few weeks when everyone revisits his music. I don't remember outside being... No, like I think no, I think look, I think that that outside does sort of stand somewhat like a little bit separate to to the music that people would go back to. Certainly, the older album and the Wham areas mm. are probably where people are mostly related to when they're when they're thinking about George Michael. Um, but it is an amazing testament to kind of how to give the finger to the mainstream media when they try and tell you and put you in your tell you to be ashamed and put you in your place. Yeah, and if you ever look at someone like Little Nas X and the videos that he makes today, like. They wouldn't have existed, I don't think, without Outside. So No, absolutely. I think that the sort of the, the video for, for Frankie Says Relax and Outside kind of pushing mm. the envelope on how you were kind of allowed to show 
sort of male sexuality on screen has opened the door for the likes of of, of Ollie Alexander, Lil Nas X mm-hmm. to be able to be very open about their their sexuality within their music. Yeah, definitely. This has been Queer Classified with Keenan James. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.